Hello and welcome to our uh, Wednesday night Bible study. We are studying the book of James. Now, Wednesday nights, our midweek service is a little bit different than our Sunday morning services. Sunday morning, we tend to preach very topically. In other words, I'll take a topic of the uh, of whatever and then kind of jump around the Bible and preach on that one particular topic. But on Wednesday nights, it's more of a Bible study. What we do is take a verse of uh, or a book of the Bible and then go through it verse by verse and try and lay out uh, exactly what uh, we're trying to say in the context of of the book that was actually written. Now, we'll still do some jumping around, but the context keeps coming back to the verse-by-verse study. And that's what we've been doing with the book of James. And uh, we've been encouraging people on Wednesday nights, bring your Bibles with you. Because rather than just looking at the big Bible in the sky up here, uh, which we show uh, all the verses up on the screen, it's better to actually have it with you so you can continually reference where we've been, where we're going, what am I going to say next, uh, because it puts the Bible in context for you. It helps you to learn uh, the book of the Bible in, in a much stronger way than just... You know, seeing whatever pops up next on the screen. Now, we are, uh, we left off in James, the uh, fifth chapter. We're almost to the end of the book. At verse 11, uh, and it says here that it says, he's he's talking about patience and trying to communicate patience uh, to the believer. And he says, well, you've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. Well, he's talking about Job. Who is Job? The, the whole book of James, you have to remember, is written to Jewish Christians. At the time, virtually all Christians were Jewish. Uh, one of the big struggles in the New Testament was you know, whether even non-Jews could even be Christians. That's how Jewish uh, early Christianity was. So th- he's writing to basically Christians who are who are also Jews and doing a lot of referencing into the Old Testament. And we've been stopping from time to time, jumping back so you could get a sense of what he's talking about. So he mentions very quickly Job, but if you're not sure about who Job was or what happened, uh, we need to flip back to give you an update. So we're going to do that. We started that last week. Um, so you want to back up, actually two weeks ago, we want to back up to the uh, book of Job. It's the book of the Bible right before the book of Psalms, kind of a a very popular part of the Bible, the book of Psalms, kind of right in the middle there. But if you back up just one book, you'll see the book of Job. It looks like Job to us, J-O-B, but it's pronounced Job. And uh, we got only as far as uh, verse 5 last week, or the last time we talked, talking about how Job would pray and intercede for his family. And I did a lot talking about how it's important for us to intercede for our children as fathers and to be spiritual leaders in our home. So anyway, we're going to pick it up at verse 6 to get a story of what happened to Job. What is James talking about when he's talking about the patience of Job. So, here's here's where we pick up the story in verse 6. It says, One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Now, this is kind of bizarre to consider this scenario here. Even though there was this huge blow up and God threw Satan out with a third of the angels, apparently Satan still, from time to time, comes back and uh, is actually seen before the Lord to answer to uh, different things. You know, I'm kind of out of my realm. I don't quite understand all this. But uh, that's what he says happens here. And uh, Satan says, well, I've been going back for, around the earth. That's kind of what he does, causing trouble. Uh, and then the Lord said to Satan, well, have you considered my servant Job? Now, now God is kind of proud about 
Job. He digs Job. Man, have you checked out Job? Job is awesome. Here's a guy, man, who really has it together. He says, there is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. So even in the midst of a world that was full of sin, God takes, when Satan comes around and says, hey, have you checked out Job? This is how much God delights in those who do right before him. He just loves it. So he's kind of sticking it in the devil's face. And then uh, Satan says, well, does Job fear you for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? So he's, Satan is complaining that, yeah, he's doing so good because you're protecting him. You know, I can't get at him, is basically what Satan's complaining about. Which, by the way, it's a good thing to pray. God, put a hedge about my family. I pray this prayer virtually every day of my life. God, put a hedge about my family. Protect my children and my grandchildren and, and, and let no harm come to them. And uh, this kind of thing that Job had going for him, I want going for me. And it's the kind of thing you want to pray too about your family. Uh, he says, so you put this hedge about him. You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. Another guy, In other words, the guy was really successful and filthy loaded actually he had all kinds of money um, but he says but stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse your face so Satan's basically making this argument the reason Job is so great and the reason why he's doing such a great job is because you're blessing him so much you quit blessing him, take away what he has and he'll curse you to his face and then the Lord said to Satan very well then everything he has is in your hands but on the man himself, do not lay a finger. By the way, <laughs> you know, I, I thought this was kind of funny. I'm looking at this. Satan says, says you know, the only reason he serves is because you're so blessed. And then God said, okay, let's check that out. And, and uh, I tell the Lord, if the devil ever comes and says, Mark only serves you because he's so blessed, just go, okay. Because I don't want to go what this guy went through. This guy goes through hell from here on out. But uh, he puts him to the ultimate test. The Lord said to Satan, very well, take away uh, everything he has, uh, but don't touch the guy himself. So, Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So here the whole thing's set up. This is, this is the context. So here is the day that everything hits the fan in Job's life. And talk about a bad bad day. You think you've had a bad day today? You think things are going lousy for you? You think you're having tests and trials? You feel abandoned? Check this out. So this day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the dachshund were grazing nearby and the Sabaeans attacked and carried them off and they put the servants to the sword. I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. So he says, here all these uh, uh, donkeys and oxen were, were stolen by these guys and they killed everybody. I'm the only guy who escaped. So Job's hearing this horrible report of what had just happened. And then the next verse says, and while he was still speaking. Well, the first guy is still telling Job about what these Sabaeans did and what a horrible situation was. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and servants. And I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. Now, what that means, I don't know. Who knows what kind of fire, lightning, I don't know what the deal was. All he knows is there was this major, uh, what he would have assumed, some kind of natural disaster that came boom and kills all 
all of his sheep. So first of all, he loses the oxen, then he loses the donkeys, now the sheep are all burnt up and all the servants are killed, and he says, I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. And check this out, while he was still speaking... Another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them up. So now the camels are all gone. Things are dropping like flies around Job. It says they put the servants to the sword. I'm the only one who's escaped. He's losing everything and all his servants are getting killed except these one guys who get away to come tell him what had happened. And it says, While he was still speaking. Yet another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house. Remember, he loved his children. These were the closest uh, things to him and, and he prayed for them every day lest they would have sinned in any way in their hearts against God. And then suddenly this bad story comes. It says the, the guys were all gathered together when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house and it collapsed on them and they are dead. And I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. And so he loses in one day everything he has. Talk about you know, a bad day on the stock market. I mean, everything collapses. He loses everything, including his precious children. Now, let me ask you a question. How would you respond to such a day? What would you do in such a day? Sadly, I fear most of us would uh, become very angry at God and become very complaining and, and very very bitter and very heartbroken and you know on and on and on and on even if one bad thing would happen to us even if maybe you lost one child or one financial setback or whatever it is you know a lot of us would totally come completely unglued right there and start questioning God how would you handle this day where you have every conceivable setback and all of your children are killed in a freak storm that pops up out of nowhere and now everything is gone. And look at what Job says. It says, At this Job got up and tore his robe, which was a tr- the a tradition of the day. Actually, they still do this in the Middle East. Uh, any kind of uh, um, mourning and stuff, you'll see that on the news. You know, if someone's killed, you'll see people ripping their clothes and wailing. It's, this is a very much Middle Eastern thing uh, to do. Um, and so he tore his robe and shaved his head. Uh, and he fell to the ground in, in worship. Here, a day that I don't think any of us could even begin to comprehend or understand. And this man's response is to fall down before God and to worship God. Whoa! How do you get to this place? How do you get this kind of integrity? How do you get this solid that everything can be taken from you? And your first response is to praise God. And and this whole response thing is very important. You know, the truth of the matter is, you will see more about what's on the inside of you sometimes in how you respond and react than in, in how you act. And, uh, and I know that's painful for uh, a lot of people to hear. It's painful for me to say. Because quite frankly, I act 
a lot better than I react because when I react, that's what I really see what I'm made of. And at times I react very nicely and at other times I react very badly to circumstances and situations. Anybody who works very close with me and knows me will see me. You know, at times I don't always react the best. And, uh, and a lot of us, we kind of fool ourselves. We think, well, that was just a reaction. That's not how I, I normally am. Well, it may not be how you normally are, but your reaction really gets more to the core. It's kind of the revealer. It's kind of God puts us in the, in, 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 the, uh, in the pressure cooker and turns on the light. And how we normally respond says a lot about who we are. Again, this, this is very discouraging for any, for anybody who reacts badly because you'd like to think the reaction was a fluke. Now we need to take our reactions kind of seriously because I think in those reactions we get a chance to take a measurement. Don't don't be discouraged. I still struggle with certain areas of my life, certain situations where I don't react the best. But when I see those things, I don't deceive myself either and, and think that it was some kind of fluke. I'm, I'm honest enough to say, yeah, I have a problem in this area. I'm, I'm kind of weak in this area. And I start praying about God, help me in this circumstance to react betterly. Better, betterly. <laughs> Here's a new word for you, betterly. Uh, to react better and not just uh, be flipping out all the time. So um, how you react to situations really shows you who you are. That's why, uh, you know, you usually really see what a person's like in their closest relationships. You know, it's very easy for us to talk and think and act spiritually, uh, but how do we really act when we're under pressure? You know, it wouldn't surprise me if some of you on the way to church were yelling and screaming at each other because something was wrong or you weren't ready in time. What's the matter with those kids? How come they didn't have their homework done? La, 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 barking at each other. And then you walk into church and, and you become miraculously spiritual. Oh, how are you all? Yes, good to see you. Great, I'm doing great. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, now you're acting. And I want you to know something. How you were reacting in the car is more about the real you than how you're acting in church. Reacting, big revealer. Take it seriously. Grow off of those. Don't get discouraged by it, but grow from it. So this man reacts to the worst conceivable day of his life in worship to God. And he says this as he worships God. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will repart. Depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Whoa! Whoa! You know, this this is a this is an amazing guy. You know, that's that's why there's a book in the Bible named Job, because, you know, you're not going to have one named Mark Gunger, because there's nothing about Mark Gunger that's anywhere near this kind of level of commitment and solidarity towards God. I mean, holy cow, how do you do that? He praises God. God, you've blessed me with all this stuff. And even though it's taken away, God, I still praise you. You are my source. You are my source of joy, my source of blessings, everything, no matter whether you give it to me or you take stuff away from me. In this case, God really didn't take it per se. The devil came and smashed everything in. But his attitude was to praise God and to honor God and to worship God in this most terrible of days. Wow. 
Yeesh. Okay, so continuing on now. Chapter 2, and remember the Bible wasn't written in chapters and verses. They added that centuries later just so we could find out where we are. Otherwise, it would be kind of hard to find stuff. But uh, continuing on, it says now, On another day... The angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the same old story from Roman through the earth and going back and forth in it, basically causing trouble. Still interesting. Man, I'm telling you, it's, it's amazing that even when the angels come to answer before God, Satan, even after being kicked out of heaven, still has to come back. He's a defeated foe. Come back, answer up. What you been up to? Then the Lord says to Satan, again, the Lord's just digging Job. I mean, if he dug Job before, he's got to really be digging Job now. He says, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. So God is just as blessed as he can be. Check out Job. He's lost everything. This guy still, no matter what you said before, you were wrong, Satan. This guy still is the real deal. Well, then Satan says, skin for skin. In other words, so what? It was stuff. That's just stuff. What about his skin? What about his physical being? A man will give all he has for his own life. Satan says, but stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord says to Satan, very well, he's in your hands. He gives the devil permission to bring this physical tragedy upon him. But he says, but you must spare his life. You cannot kill him. Before, remember, he says you can take everything he has, but you can't touch him. Now God says, okay, you can beat him up, but you just can't kill him. Hope God never has that conversation With the devil about me. Anyway, so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and then afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. And then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. Kind of a gross thing, kind of picking at his sores and and sitting there in a heap of ashes. This guy is now in horrible physical pain with, with these painful sores from the top of his head to the sole of his feet. Ugh. Just seriously gross situation. And then uh, his wife says to him, now I think this is kind of funny because I've, I heard a preacher once say, boy, the devil really knew how to get to Job. He took away everything but left his wife. <laughs> I'll tell you what, nobody can get on your nerves like your spouse. And interesting, because, um, you know, while your spouse can also be the greatest blessing in the world to you, they can also be sometimes your greatest trial and tribulation. Everything was taken from Job except for the girl. Who criticizes the guy? And says to him, are you still holding on to your integrity? Why don't you just curse God and die? This is a lovely young lady. Don't you all wish you had wives like this? <laughs> Something like a gift of encouragement. Curse God and die. Oh, man. So he, Job replies, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Again, phenomenal. 
situation. A lot of us, all we got to do is get some potentially bad reports from a doctor and we will come completely unglued, completely lose our faith, completely freak out, yell at God, cry at God, just go bananas at whatever is going on. And, uh, and here's a guy who, after losing everything, now is unbelievably ill and still would not curse God. So, then the book of Job starts. And what happens next is Job has three friends uh, come over and hang with Job. Job's feeling lousy, so these three friends come over and try and encourage him. Actually, if you read it, uh, they weren't much of an encouragement at all. These guys just gave him a really hard time and said, you must have done something wrong. He said, I didn't do anything wrong. He said, you had to do something wrong. God wouldn't make you sick like this if you didn't do it. He said, I didn't do anything wrong. He said, oh, you must have done something wrong. And these guys kept going on and on and on about how at some point Job should have had this coming and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And Job's trying to hang in there. And, uh, and Job did waver a little bit, you know, but in the slightest of ways. I mean, goodness gracious, this is, uh, this, this is, this is amazing um, that he would even hold on here. But these guys were egging him on, egging him on, and he started uh, wavering just a bit, but still did not sin, still hung in there. Um, and then finally the Lord comes up, shows up and uh, rebukes these three nitwits and said, you know, you guys don't know what you're talking about and, and, and corrects Job a little bit about um, a, a couple of things that he had said, but still was so blessed and pleased with Job's response. And we see in chapter 42 of Job, now go all the way to the end of the book of Job, the 42nd chapter at verse 10. And it says, after Job had prayed for his friends... The Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. Wow, what an end to the story. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought against him. The way it's worded here is because of... You know, the, the devil egging the Lord on in this. And, and each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. And the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. He ended up with 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. And he had seven sons and three daughters. And uh, anyway, so this guy ends up just completely blessed. The end of his life was much better than the first. God blessed him double than uh, he had in the first place. And the way he'd been blessed in the first place was pretty amazing as it was. So this is the story. This is what James is talking about when he says, consider Job. When he's teaching us about patience. So let's back up again to James the fifth chapter, uh, um, and uh, we'll back up just a little bit at verse 7, putting this in context. He says, be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. So the whole context here is about be 
patient. And then he says, brothers, as example of as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And then he goes on to talk about Job. So his reference here is, consider some of these guys who've gone before us and how incredibly well they did. And, and re- remember here, the patience he's talking about is not the patience of, you know, it took McDonald's, you know, four minutes instead of two minutes to, uh, to bring you your burger. All right, and it's not, you know, just that your kids are getting on your nerves, or and all that's fine to pray for that kind of patience. The patience that he's talking about, again, look at it in verse ten, as an example of patience in the face of suffering. Suffering. Sometimes Christians suffer. Sometimes Christians have bad times. Sometimes we get very tested in our faith. And the example here is to be patient. Be patient. And that's when he uses the example of Job. And he says, use the Old Testament prophets as an example, and also Job. Um, really quickly, just back up just a little bit in your Bibles. You'll see the book of Hebrews comes just before James. If you look at Hebrews, the 11th chapter. Just back up a little bit there. And you can see Hebrews, the 11th chapter. If you can find that there. Starting at, at uh, verse 32. And... We call Hebrews the 11th chapter the the great faith chapter in the Bible. This is where he talks about the power of faith and how anything can be done by faith and how God is pleased when we walk in faith. And then he gives a list of people in the Old Testament uh, who lived by faith, uh, all these prophets and stuff, which James said, consider these guys when you start having trouble. And then he mentions Job, but he also said to consider all of them. And here's a kind of a great summary of what these guys went through. So let's take a look at this real quick. Hebrews 11th chapter, verse 32. And he says, what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon, or Barak, or Samson, or Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith, and then he gives a list of what these guys accomplished through faith. Check out this list. He says, through faith, they conquered kingdoms. Yes! They administered justice. Ooh! And gained what was promised. Who shut the mouths of lions. Yeah! Quenched the fury of the flames. Yes! Escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle, and routed foreign armies. Yes, 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 hoo-ah! And women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured. Now this next part of the list is not as cool as the first part of the list. And I gotta tell you, if I got a choice of butt-kicking armies and doing incredible things, I'd rather do that than the second half of the list, which starts with torture. These guys were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. Again, not so exciting. They were stoned, and I don't mean, you know, like they had a little too much hooch there. I'm talking these people threw rocks at these guys. And they were sawed in two. Sawed in two. That's a bad day. I don't care how you look at it. That's a, that's a, that's ugh. Sawed in half. This can't be good. And they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins. You're complaining about your wardrobe? Check these cats out. That's all they had to wear. And they were destitute, 
persecuted and mistreated. And the Bible says the world was not worthy of them. So not all victories come out as the first half of the list. A lot of times it does. Great turnarounds, great blessings, just he says, like when you consider what God uh, turned around in Job's life. I mean, wow, how, how amazing was that? How his end was greater than his beginning. Sometimes, though, uh, there's suffering involved. And uh, the, the key here is to just be patient. Be patient. God is having his way in your life. If you will trust him. Now, again, this is assuming that you're not on some disciplined end of, of God dealing in your life. Sometimes bad things happen to us because, uh, and, and troubles come. Now, some people don't believe this. They don't think anything bad would ever happen to a believer. But I don't think the Bible really, really teaches that. Hebrews there believes, taught, he says, sometimes there's this, this discipline of the Lord. And, when, and discipline is not pleasant. Now, however you quantify discipline, no matter how you look at it, it's not pleasant. That's a nice way of saying, Ugh, this is not good. Sometimes there's a suffering content that comes in if you're disobeying God. Sometimes God will take you to the woodshed, man, and slap you upside the head. And he does it because he loves you. The Bible says, if God didn't love you, he'd just leave you alone. You don't want that. You want God disciplining you if things aren't going, uh, if you're not doing right in your life. And when it's God disciplining you, you know, you just need to repent and get right with God, and then the troubles will cease. But even sometimes when you're doing the right things, and it's not a result of you being disciplined, there can be a real testing of your faith. Which, remember, James starts out saying, count it all joy when your faith is being tested, when you're having a hard time. Rejoice and be glad in the midst of all this because of what God is doing in your life. Okay, so that's the whole patience and suffering thing. Then we go back to James here, and we pick it up at chapter, uh, verse 12. And he changes the subject again. Remember, James, through this whole book, has just been giving little tidbits of advice about all kinds of things here. So, he just did that about being patient when you're suffering. Trust God. And then he goes here and changes the subject. He says this, Above all, my brothers, do not swear... Not by heaven or by the earth or by anything else. Now, he's not talking about cussing when he says don't swear. He's not saying don't, you know, be using God's name in vain, which you shouldn't be doing. And when things go bad, you shouldn't be cussing, especially when you're mad at each other. Don't be cussing at each other. Don't be cursing at your kids or your family or your wife. or anything. You need to man up, buddy. Don't be cursing at your children, your wife, and you women shouldn't be cursing disrespectfully at your husbands. I don't have a problem with people getting mad. You can get mad. Everybody can get mad. We all get mad. We all get on each other's nerves. I get it. And it's okay to fight. Anyone who tells you you shouldn't fight is full of baloney. It's fine in close relationships. Everybody fights. You just need to fight fair and be as respectful as you can. Just don't go mean and go psycho on people and start screaming and cursing at people. But that's not what he's talking about. That's I gave you that for free. The swearing he's talking about is like swearing to God. And saying, I swear to God. I swear to God that I'll do this or I'll do that. Or I swear I didn't do this or whatever. He says here, don't do that. Well, what do you do? He says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Or you will be condemned. In other words, you don't need to say to God, God, I swear to you that I'll do such and such. Don't, don't do that. Now, where did James get this concept from? Well, he got it from the Lord Jesus. 
flip back again over to Matthew, the very first book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and James, okay? Or John? James. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But Matthew's the very first one. And chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 33. He says, Jesus is saying, and he's correcting a lot of stuff that you know, people took in the Old Testament and kind of got on base on. And he said, well, you've heard that's what this means. But he says, I'm telling you, that's not what it means. They got off here. He talks about murder, adultery, you know, for example, um, the adultery, you know, the you shouldn't commit adultery. He says, yeah, that's what he said. But I'm telling you, don't even be looking at a woman to lust after her in your heart because that's adultery as well. He kind of raised the standard and made some corrections uh, over their interpretation of some of the uh, laws in the Old Testament. And, uh, and then he comes to this idea of making vows to God. And he says this, again, you have heard it, I heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oath you have made to the Lord, your vows, your solemn promises to the Lord. This is what you've heard it was said. And, and by the way, a lot of believers, still, despite what James said and what Jesus said, I'm not, don't quite sure how they get around this, even some Bible commentaries you can read, argue that it's still appropriate to make vows to God. My brother Eddie and I, last time he was here with me, must have spent at least four to six hours arguing over this very point. Eddie believes that, you know, it's good to make vows to God. And, uh, and of course, I argued with him forever about it. And he has this long, detailed explanation of why these verses don't mean what, obviously, it says it means. And, and I love my brother. He's phenomenal. He's a great Bible teacher. He's, he's always my first choice to come in the pulpit when I'm not here. It's just he's not always right. And in this case, I think he's just wrong. In fact, he's writing a whole book on this, promoting that Christians should make vows to God. I think he's wrong. I just think he's wrong because it says here, you've said, keep your oaths to God. But I tell you, Jesus said, do not swear at all. So he's saying, you've heard about making these vows and keeping them. I'm telling you, don't do that. James said, don't do that. So I don't think Christians need to be going around making vows. Again, good people uh, can disagree on this. To me, it's pretty clear you shouldn't do it, but they've got this other reasoning that seems to kick in. And like I said, my brother was working on a whole book on on this whole idea. But uh, I, I don't think you're supposed to do it. He says, don't swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. Again, Eddie has reasoning behind what all this stuff means, blah, 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 blah. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair black or white. But the point was, start from the beginning. This is what you've heard, make vows. I say don't do it. And then he ends with, simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one, Jesus said. There's no reason to get yourself in a lather and swear to God that you're going to do something. God, I promise you, I make the solemn vow, I swear I'm going to do... Don't be talking like that. There's no reason to talk like that. Certainly not in my opinion. I think I have the Bible on my side, but even those of us who read the Bible come up with different conclusions. And then James comes right along and says the exact same thing. Don't be making these big, elaborate 
promises. I don't think you're supposed to do it. Again, some of you may not agree. My brother Eddie would be having a cow hearing this right now. But I'm here and he's not. Anyway, um, I just don't think we're supposed to do that. You don't need to be swearing to God and making some big, huge case out of this, that, and the other to make yourself do something. What does the Bible say? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. In other words, if you're going to do it, just do it. If you say you're going to do it, say, just do it. So I'm going to, I'm going to fast tomorrow. I'm going to fast tomorrow. Then just do it. You don't have to say, God, I swear to you, I promise, oh God, I make a vow to you, oh God, that I'm going to keep this promise. And, you know, the, pro- the problem here is if anything goes south and you can't keep the promise, then you get condemned, James says. Whereas if you would have just said yes to no without the big elaborate swearing ceremony here, and something goes south, it just goes south. You know, it's not the end of the world here. So, I, I again, I just, from my viewpoint, I'm just going to tell you, I never go into these elaborate swearing and vowing. Of course, then my brother says, well, you made a vow before God to stay married. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I get it. There's times in our life that we make these promises. And if you go to testify in a court, you got to swear in a Bible, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, they, they make us do that. But I, I think when it comes to our relationship to God here, uh, I think Jesus made it very clear, at least to, from my viewpoint, and James again, that you really shouldn't go there. Now, if you feel otherwise, that is fine. Okay? That, this is not one of these things that certainly I am going to fight over. Well, I fight with my brother Eddie just because he's my brother. But uh, And we like to debate. That's kind of how we... The Bible says is sharp, our iron sharpens iron. You know, my brother and I have been sharpening each other for years. It just never ends. And uh, it's good for us. It's healthy for us. You, uh, some of you who are real peace-oriented people and you don't like arguments would not like it over at my house when my brother and I are hanging out. But we've done this since we were born, just debating stuff. And then we got saved and we've been debating the Bible ever since. And it's good. Iron sharpens iron. It's okay to debate some of these things out. But uh, I'm certainly not going to uh, not have anything to do with Eddie because of this. And he's certainly not going to disown me because of this. I mean, he absolutely believes that you should do it and it's healthy for you and it's good and he's got a whole book he's writing that you can buy if he ever gets it done and uh, and you can see his point of view on this. I just I just don't see what the point is. I don't think you need to prop yourself up with all this elaborate vowing and committing. Just do it. If you're going to do it, just do it. Be a man. Man up for crying out. If you're a lady, be manly. As well. I mean, just say what you're going to say. Do what you say you're going to do. I mean, that's what we did uh, last year when we did our uh, our campaign for uh, the fundraiser that we did for the uh, Imagine campaign. You remember, I didn't go into this big routine of making this pledge and promising and swearing to God and getting everybody up in a hype. I just don't think that's necessary. I just think it's I just think it's a bad idea. Again, it's my way of viewing things and, and the areas that I control, I will certainly direct things in this way. Again, if you think it's important for you to do that and this is how you succeed in your life by making these oaths and you view it kind of like my brother does from his bizarre interpretation thing, then fine. Go for it. I've, I've got no problem. I, I won't, we won't fight over it or anything else. It's just I don't think we need to do that. I just think say what you're going to do and then do it. 
I think that's the simplicity of faith here. I think that's what Jesus was trying to teach when he said, don't get into this big deal. Just say what you're going to do and then do it. And James says the exact... He's almost quoting it word for word. Uh, word for word what Jesus said. Don't swear by heaven or earth or anything else. Just let your yes be yes. And your no be no. Or otherwise you'll just fall into condemnation. So anyway... It's what I think about this verse. So anyway, okay, we're almost out of time here. I'll tell you what, we'll, uh, we'll stop here and then uh, we will come back next uh, week and finish up this last section here about uh, the prayer of faith. And we've just got a few little verses left in the book of James and then we'll be done and we'll be moving on to another book of the Bible. Uh, haven't made a final decision yet but I think we're going to go to Ephesians. Kind of an interesting book in the New Testament. But we'll just jump around from, from book to book and take it and climb through it uh, a little bit at a time and, uh, and hopefully grow in our faith as a result. I think studying the scriptures is a good thing for us. Even in a situation like I just described here where people might disagree over certain things in the Bible. And trust me, in all of this there's lots of room for little disagreements about all kinds of things. We don't make big deals about many, many, many things. Very few things that we make a big deal out of. I think there's plenty of room for people to think differently about a great many doctrinal subjects in the Bible. And that's fine. And we can even have our little debates from time to time and sharpen each other as iron sharpens iron. What I refuse to do is get all crazy about some Bible doctrine and cause that to separate me from somebody else. And uh, we just don't do that here. We There's people here uh, at Celebration Church who come from a wide variety of backgrounds in faith. Some of y'all are ex-Lutherans, some of you used to be Catholic, some of you, you know, Baptists and Pentecostals and Presbyterians and, you know, whatever, multiple shades of gray that there are all over the place. And my guess is if we sat down and discussed a dozen different topics, there'd be a dozen and a half different viewpoints on those things. And that's perfectly fine here. We don't all have to think exactly the same. Now when it comes to the most basic truths about Jesus Christ being the Son of God and and Him dying for the sins of the world and that is our only way to salvation, you know, and the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, heaven and earth, hell, all the, the basics of Christianity, yes, there we get pretty strong and as far as we're concerned, those things are not up for grabs. Uh, I don't care what other new age revelations someone might come up with about some of these deeper truths. Uh, Quite frankly, we just don't care. But on these other lots of different ways of looking at uh, different segments of the Bible, we think it's fine that we can have lots of different opinions, lots of different views. We don't all have to think the same way. You don't have to sign some card saying, I agree with Pastor Mark about everything. That's just ridiculous. That's not what this church is about. This church is about belonging to something bigger than you and bigger than your opinions. And we don't all have to think the same. We don't all have to look the same. We don't all have to sound the same. We just can be brothers and sisters in Christ joining together for a great purpose of advancing God's kingdom. This wonderful challenge before us of taking God's love and affecting the world. And we can do it even though everybody doesn't think and act exactly the same. So, anyway, be encouraged in your faith, continue to grow, and then uh, next Wednesday, we will finish out the book of James and move on from there. God bless all of you.